Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Daily Covfefe on Unsafe Space. I am your host, Carter Laren, and I am joined by a woman in a hat named Carrie Smith. Hey, Carrie. Hi, Carter. How are you? I'm hanging in there. Um, I don't know. Did I say the date? Did I say it was April 3rd? I, I'm totally I discombobulated today. It's April 3rd. It's Friday. This is Covfefe Break that you're watching. It's unsafe space. You should like, you should share, you, sub- you should subscribe. You should go to Subscribestar and pay us. Uh, what else should they do, <laughs> Carrie? <laughs> wow. You went from not liking talking about the money to being like, pay us. <laughs> <laughs> I much prefer to say pay us than like, please, please, please. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If you want to support the show financially, what Carter is saying is we have a Subscribestar account instead of a Patreon. <laughs> and you can go there and give us a tip or you can give us a tip in the live chat. Um, I'm not doing okay. I'm in so much pain. I have It's a lady problem, though. It's not a Corona related. I know. It's, and it's not even emotional pain, which is most lady problems that I'm aware of. No, it's not emotional pain. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> well, um, Carrie, I'm sorry that you're in pain. Uh, <laughs> see? Yeah. See, the poor, the poor woman shows up anyway. I know you're all mocking her for being late. Which, you know, is normally appropriate. But today, she had a valid excuse. So, uh, yeah, we'll see if I can make it the full hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, is there anything that would cheer you up to talk about? Anything in particular that you want to talk about? Because I've got a few things, but, uh, you know, we'll let the, the lady in pain go first. <laughs> uh, no. Let, look, I'm still on the same tear I've been on since our impromptu kafefi. I am so, and then we don't have to go there again and spend a whole episode on it. But just once again, I am amazed at people who are just seemingly okay with the government shutting the whole world down. And I've heard uh, from friends. So the the yarn store that I mentioned in the last episode, um, in New Zealand, they're in New Zealand. Uh, New Zealand's not allowing people to even operate their small businesses online unless they get government permission. And then I heard from a friend who said the same thing is happening in the UK. If we have any viewers in the UK, maybe you can tell us if that's what's going on. But um, I'm just amazed with people who think that all of this is okay and necessary. And and like Laura, uh, our friend Laura pointed out, it, people are acting as if there's only two options. And that's false. It's like, they're acting as if you have to be on board with government shutdown. And if you're not, then you're just like, okay with you think it's cool to go canoodling on the beach. Like it's spring break with strangers that I don't, <laughs> those are two. It's a false choice. Canoodling. Did you just use the word canoodling? Are you running for, are you going to, you trying to be Joe Biden's running mate? Gallivanting and canoodling. <laughs> I don't, I'm not saying we should be gallivanting and canoodling. I'm just saying we should have the right if we if people want to <laughs> anyway. i think canoodling is definitely a human right um canoodling. <laughs> yeah 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 no well, it's crazy it's crazy um yeah it's like our two options are everyone dies of coronavirus or uh <laughs> we have literal totalitarianism those are the two options um but yeah, karen and, is and loving it Karen's are, loving it. people who are talking about the as if there's only two options and we have to be on board with the government shutdown. They're they're trying to use the justification of saving lives, but I'm like, dude, are you ignoring the fact that you can't separate an economic recession from people's health? We all know the, the statistics show that suicides spike during recessions, 
domestic abuse spikes, people get depressed, people don't have a sense of purpose, people aren't able to pay the bills. You're going to put, we have no idea how many people are, are going to end up in poverty as a result of this. I think it's going to make the financial crisis of 2008 look like small potatoes. Yeah. So in terms of how it affects everyday people and and it's most insulting, I find it most offensive when the people who are arguing that we should all stay home are people who have a secure income coming in this month and next month. That bothers me. You I'm mean like, like Madonna. <laughs> like Madonna, like like people who are comfortable and are fine are and then and they're telling the working class people who are being told they can't go to work Hey, it's for the public good. Who's public good? You don't get to decide that for me. It might be better for me to go out and feed my family than it is for me to sit here at home. It might be a greater risk for me to sit here at home and I should be able to decide. That's how that's how I feel. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the problem with the term public good as we've said so many times on the show. Yeah. Um Yeah, I mean, so Carrie, let's just review uh, by, by the way, I agree. I think it's going to be worse than the financial crisis of two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Uh, much worse. Let's review. Hey, one, Go ahead. One quick up. Uh-huh. Well, one quick update. Little Ragamuffin is in chat. Hi, Little Ragamuffin. She says a Karen canceled a car parade and car show down the Las Vegas Strip. Everyone was in their cars. How is that a threat to anyone? Yeah, but so in my local community, they just. I, I think I told you that the. Uh, local watering hole had been open and people in the group were complaining and I find being in that group pretty fascinating. And at first I wasn't contributing anything, but now I'm in there because I'm, I'm so upset with these people. They're in there complaining for days about the fact that they saw a few people out at the watering hole and other people were saying, yeah, and posting photos and saying, yeah, they weren't, it wasn't large groups of people and they weren't together. Everybody was being socially distant with their family away from other people it didn't matter to these busybodies in the group. They called enough that our local government issued a statement saying that they got so many complaints. They didn't. It, I, I thought the wording was interesting. They didn't say we're shutting this down because you guys aren't socially distancing because that wasn't the case. They said we're shutting this down because we got so many complaints. Wow. So they they're shutting off. And how long until they shut off the trail? They're like, but the trails around it are still open. Yeah, the Karens aren't happy. They're like, you shut the trails down too. Tell me again why democracy is a good political system. Right, exactly. I'm so sick of this mob. And, you know, I read this. Somebody linked an article in Psychology Today about um, – it was actually interesting. It was it was f- from the point of view of – it was basically telling people, people who hold the opposite opinion, people who believe that the government should be shutting everything down – that they shouldn't be so forceful and and busybody and so controlling because it has um, because when you do that it can often have the opposite effect on certain people and I forget the word they used but they said you know for example some people when being told they can't do something it makes them want to do it <laughs> and I'm like hmm, hmm. you know me so well psychology today. <laughs> like, Carter. Carter's the same. I'm like, I want to go to the watering hole this weekend because, hey, no crowds now, right? They've officially said we can't go there. Um, it makes me angry. Absolutely. It, it, it should make you angry. It should make yeah. you angry. And, you know, Duty Rated points something out in chat. Uh, I think he meant to point this out. Uh, he, I think he meant to make the broader point, uh, which is 
he says, ah, sewing machine repair, is, is sewing machine repair essential? Our sewing machines just broke while uh, they're making PPE masks, right? Uh, in a modern economy, <laughs> in the 21st century, everything is connected to everything else. Everything's essential, kind of. Like, everything is connected to everything else. So... Um, I also think it's quite ironic that a politician would dare try and tell people who's essential. Um, like, if anyone's not essential, it's the people you voted for. They're the least essential people on the planet. Completely. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, essential. Uh, I just want to tell you one thing before we get off this topic or before you just while I'm still talking about the Karens in my local group. The reason I got involved eventually and started arguing was because I saw this really nasty woman who is a nurse, by the way, it come to find out. Um, oh, did our feed stop? Is it still going? No, our feed's going as far as okay, I know. Go. In fact, we should thank Sandykins57 who just sent us uh, oh. some money, which I can't measure because I don't know the unit. But thank you, Sandykins57. And you should say Sandy Kins gave us money and said, to canoodling and gallivanting. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. Yeah. I didn't read the message. The most important part uh, is that you get to have your message read. Canoodling and gallivanting. Yes. Um, but down okay. with malarkey. Down with malarkey. But down, no malarkey, though. So in this local group, there was a woman who uh, was saying, this is a shame they're shutting down the watering hole. Like, I saw it. People were not congregating in groups. And this was, you know exercise and fresh air and sunshine are essential and how many of these places are, are we going to shut down and, and she was basically bemoaning it she's a woman after my own heart and then this nurse comes in and uh says says to her don't worry renee i'll keep your pandemic excursions in mind when i'm keeping you sedated and your pain under control while you're intubated oh wait no i won't because I have respect for humanity and I put the greater good ahead of my own selfish needs and wants. And I'm reading you that. You install them like, both, sweetheart. Yeah, you install both. I'm reading that. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, I'm glad that you told me you have respect for humanity because you telling the woman uh, about keeping her sedate, how you won't keep her sedated and her pain under control while she's intubated is, is really not very illustrative of your respect for humanity. And like, and, and she went on to say worse things, like hateful things. And it's like, while saying, I care about humanity. I love humanity. I can't wait for you to be on a ventilator. You know, like that, that's hateful. What is wrong with you? Hey, <laughs> okay, that's I, just me yeah. thinking. No, I, I agree with you. Um, I don't know why this reminds me of this, but, and it's totally not what I was going to talk about today, but I'm going to bring it up anyway, because you like random stuff. Maybe other people will like random stuff. So... We we don't really don't watch much television, but for some reason we've kind of been like, ah, eh, everyone's watching stuff. So we watched um, this documentary on the Discovery Channel <laughs> about um, what was it like the Serengeti? I don't know if you've seen this, but it occurred to us that I think I, I don't know if this is true, but I feel like if you are filming nature, you kind of have to not be a leftist because. <laughs> There's nothing safe about anything for anyone. Like, literally, kids get eaten all the time. People go starving. Like, lots of unfairness happens constantly. It's this... And it's just a reminder. The reason I'm bringing it up is it's just a reminder how uh, how desperate the struggle 
to live and survive actually is in reality. And, um, and I think we so often, especially in first world countries, we so often forget how fundamentally difficult staying alive and procreating so that you, and like keeping your kids alive till the next generation, how fundamentally difficult that actually is. And we get, I think just we have a, we have a society full of people. And I don't know if this is to some extent, just a byproduct of success. Like it will always be this way. I don't know, but I think we have a lot of people who just don't grow up. And I don't mean they don't become mature and semi self-sufficient, blah, blah, blah. I mean, they don't grow up in the sense of they they just substitute the state and authority for their parent. And yeah, they recognize they need to go get a job and have some, uh, some kind of responsibility and, and or maybe they just want material goods. But I think most people just look to the government as mommy and daddy and they, no one, very few people have dealt with the reality that you are alone. You are yeah. alone. It is your job alone, just you. Now, maybe you can get married and have a partner in, in life so that you got a little team and maybe build some friends, but it's just you. Fundamentally, it's just you. And that is scary. I get that scary, but that fundamental reality of nature does not change no matter how many douchebags stand up and say, thanks for your vote, I'll take care of you. They can't. It's just it, It's just you. It's always just you. It will always be just you. Um, and I, maybe that's just too much of a scary reality for people to deal with. But I certainly, I think all the Karens that we've been talking about, none of them understand that. None of them. They all are, they, they all are swooning over big government like it's, uh, <laughs> like he's the alpha, like the government is the alpha male in the tribe. And they're like, I'm aligning myself with Matt, you know, the big gorilla. You better follow his orders not to swim in the watering hole. I'm going to report you. I'm on big gorilla's side. Yes. Big, big gorilla doesn't protect you. Like you're on your own. Yes. It's, and it, you're right though. They don't, they don't seem to understand. I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. And I, because I've been having a lot of these conversations and, and I, they don't seem to understand that I'm not saying we shouldn't have personal responsibility. In fact, I'm saying we should have more personal responsibility. Yes. It's almost like they want to relinquish personal responsibility entirely and just have the government tell them what to do. I'm like, no, you, you know, and people who are like, well, if I go out and I, well, you chose to go out. If I go out and I get sick because you, wow. Okay. So first of all, why are you out? Right. I, if you're I thought no one was going out. out. How are you interacting with me? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How are you interacting with me? You choose to stay home. And and especially if you uh, are someone who has a guaranteed income and don't have to go to work, sit at home on your keyboard and judge all the rest of us who have to go make a living um, and who are making that choice for ourselves. Like, fine. Stay at home until every we develop herd immunity if, if we're going to and, you know, and and good godspeed <laughs> I'm ha make your own choices that's all i'm saying why why don't i i am I'm, I'm sorry i'm speechless today i'm just a little like it, it i think you're right though it's a lack of being a mature adult i'm not understanding that each of your choices has consequences and every time you make a choice you're weighing the risks and the benefits of any choice yeah, and it's and it's a myth to believe that there is a political system under which you can 
indefinitely not suffer consequences. Like you, you will at the, like I said, at the end of the day, you are in charge of yourself and it's your responsibility. And, uh, I, you know, I, and I don't know if I necessarily blame a lot of people. I think a lot of, like, I, I mean, ultimately they're responsible. So I blame them, but I mean, it's understandable to have that opinion because that's kind of how you've been, you've been taught that the state is your your parent and the state will take care of you. Um, that's one of the psychological byproducts of excessive regulation, which I've talked about before. But when you have the government saying, we will regulate all of these things extensively and make them safe or take care of you, what you end up with is a population that, um, that expects or relies upon the government, uh, relies upon the government Taking care of you. Sorry, I got distracted because Carrie just sent me a signal. Thanks, Carrie. Uh, I thought it was urgent. It was an article in Marie Claire. Uh, <laughs> anyway, you get full of a pop. You get a population that's that's psychologically accustomed to being taken care of, and then they lose the ability to take care of themselves or to to fend for themselves or to use their own critical judgment. So, um, Carrie, what was the thing you just sent me on signal? <laughs> Carrie, you are muted. Okay, you made me think of this when you're talking about the so-called Karens, which <laughs> okay. I, I've just accepted that that's the word people use now for busybodies. But I really love the word, the name Karen, and it we can actually call them Carters if that makes you feel better. <laughs> Carters, it's actually Karen means pure one. It's got like it's got a it's not anyway. Um, <laughs> so I just sent you an article when you were talking about how the Karens this one. view the government as like this alpha male. This made me want to vomit. This is in Marie Claire. My boyfriend, here, re you read it. It says, my boyfriend, it. Andrew, well, you, I mean, the screen's up there regardless of who reads oh, okay. it. My boyfriend, Andrew Cuomo's new girlfriend is America. Have you read this? No, um, I'm already syntactically confused by this. So let me parse it for a minute. My boyfriend, Andrew Cuomo's new girlfriend. So this is, I guess... Andrew Cuomo broke up with this person and is now dating America. Is that the is that the argument? I, this person means that she has a crush on him, and now America does too. Now scroll down. Why? Because he scroll has nipple rings. To, is that the reason? <laughs> scroll down to like the third. Okay, here we go. Scroll down to the paragraph that starts. But the one thing I do have. Read that. But the one thing I do have to look forward to every day like clockwork has been New York Governor Andrew Cuomo's daily press briefings at 11 a.m. Wow. That's a life you got. Sometimes he's late <laughs> and starts them at 1130. TMI. I've started referring to this waiting time as Cuomo FOMO. My God. <laughs> Get a boyfriend. Like a velveteen gravity blanket for my soul. <laughs> the second I see this man's Perfectly weathered face and tussled curls. The moment his Pacino-like accent fills my living room with its mafia-like authority. See, they are pining after the ex-con yes. at the gym. My blood pressure drops. My breasts seem to perk up on their own. And a tingly feeling of optimism washes over my imprisoned body as I think to myself, I think we're going to be okay. Also, <laughs> I'm in love with New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. How this? Uh, well, <laughs> if we were a discovery documentary, this would be how the death of the species occurs. This would be the prelude to <laughs> extinction. <laughs> it's so gross. But, okay, so 
First of all, let's, let's let's keep in mind a few things. This Marie Claire writer is presumably getting paid her full salary to write this tripe from home. Michelle Collins. <laughs> Michelle Collins. There you go. Uh, secondly, this is what you're talking about. Look at what she says. Mafia. Like, like she secretly pines for an alpha. Why? I don't know this woman. I don't know her ideology, but I'm just assuming like a lot of media that she's bought into some of the SJW um, tenets of belief, which, uh, which denigrate masculinity, traditional masculinity and denigrate the qualities associated with that. So how does it, how does it seep out of her, her, it's still an innate desire, right? It's still coming and it's coming out in this really gross perverted way where she's expressing her desires for the governor. I'm like, Anyway, I just thought it was funny. I thought you might laugh. You know what's interesting <laughs> is, I mean, um, this is the other thing that I think is perverted about this. Because um, I, I don't have a problem with um, seeking alpha. Like, I get that alpha males are are attractive. Um, and, and I think there's evolutionary reason for that. Politicians are fake alphas, though. Um, and, and that's what's really... Like... <clears throat> Politicians can't actually, they don't actually do anything. You realize that they don't actually build anything, provide for you at all. They don't actually do anything. They, all they do is manipulate losers into voting for them and wield a power that's undeserved. Um, so in nature, actually, they're not actually alphas. We have this uh, backwards construction. We've We've created a society that's, distinctly that's tried to isolate ultimately this isolation will can't ha- happen metaphysically but we've tried to kind of isolate ourselves from the reality of existence as as humans on the planet and so we have this inverse and per- perverse incentive system where people get rewarded for things that in nature they would probably die alone in a cave for doing but in our society they get rewarded and elevated uh, and Andrew Cuomo is one of those people, right? This is this is a guy who I think his whole family's been. His dad was uh, governor when I was growing up in New York. Like their whole family's just they're just a political class. All they do is is you know flap their mouth and tell you how to you know how they want to run your life um, and kiss babies and get elected. Those aren't marketable survival skills. Those are only skills in a in a world where we've granted them that power as a culture. But and and that's what's attractive apparently. Yeah, that's what's attractive. Well, Keith had the best comment I've seen yet. He said she wants to get screwed by the state. <laughs> well, she will. <laughs> There's some guarantee there. That will happen, absolutely. So there you go. Um, uh, I was going to call you Karen. Wow. Carrie. <laughs> that's okay. Okay. Nobody's called me that since sixth grade, but. All right. I won't call you, I won't call you Karen. Um. I kind of want to touch on something that you brought up before, because um, I think we—I don't think we have to spend a lot of time on it, but we should just note, you know, you brought up the economy before. <clears throat> so last week there was, I think I, we mentioned that, uh, I think I mentioned it in the video I did uh, one evening, the random live stream, and then we talked about it again on Kofefi. Uh The jobless numbers were 3.3 million, which was four and a half to five times the previous historical rep- record for joblessness claims um, in the U.S., and what did we say at the time? We said, well, it's going to be a lot worse in coming weeks. Um, and yesterday, the numbers came out. And it is. It is twice as bad this week. We're now at 
6.648 million claims. Look at this graph, for those of you who can see. This is a historical graph, graph of uh, <clears throat> jobless claims going back to 07. I mean, it keeps going, but the previous historical high was right here on March 28th in 2009 with 665,000 jobless claims. We hit that record, as I mentioned. Uh, we, we smashed that record last week, 3.3 million claims. Smashed that record by 2x this week, 6.6 .6 million claims. Uh, if this shutdown slash shelter-in-place crap continues, uh, I guarantee next week will be even higher. I guarantee already, even if it stops tomorrow, next week will be higher. Um, so we will see next week higher. Now, just as a reminder, there's only 100 million working uh, age Americans, 100 million adults in the U.S. total. So we're starting to have a pretty high percentage here of jobless claims. And I I will reiterate what Kerry just said, which is we think this is going to be a recession worse than the 28-29 recession. I think we're looking at possibly Great Depression style stuff. Now, Great Depression lasted longer than normal thanks to the government's bungling of it. But really, which of you people think that the government's going to do a better job now? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I was reading a CNN article about this. I know, CNN. I was reading a CNN article about this, and they had they had this sentence in it, which I just thought was funny. They said that this these jobless claims were, quote, far greater than economists had expected, <laughs> and more than 3,000 the pre-pandemic levels. Stop listening to economists. Um, economists like Krugman... Or even little celebrities like uh, what's his name, the mad, the money dude who smashes things on his show, um, Jim, whatever his name. I don't even watch him anymore. Mad money dude. Like I think their 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 predictions are basically inversely correlated to what happens, and no one notices. They just keep getting asked for their opinion. And Krugman's like a Nobel winning economist. Uh, economics has had done to it basically what philosophy has had done to it. It's been hollowed out to become a in a joke of a discipline and it's the opposite of what it used to be um it's it's literally pushing bad economy their only answer to everything is expand credit they just print money expand credit print money expand credit that's all they know how to do um so uh yeah i i don't i don't anticipate this getting better in fact someone asked about the un i didn't really have a comment i don't have a comment on the un maybe you do carrie but I just before we I just want to read off the four things the UN recommended. Their their four pronged strategy in response to the crisis. <clears throat> One, addressing liquidity shortfalls. That basically just means printing money. Two, <laughs> freezing debt payments and providing secure debt relief. Kind of just it's not printing money, but it's basically they're going to have to print money to do that. Uh, Three, investing in poor countries, emergency healthcare services, and four, implementing state-led capital controls. Capital controls means um, the state controls where you can move money and how much you can move and, and puts rules in place. Capital controls are the thing that have prevented Chinese citizens from taking their money out of China for years and made it very difficult. Um, so those are the recommendations from the UN. Basically, more fiat currency, more central control, more and more and then more government control, more state-led capital controls to keep um, money in the areas where it's supposed to be, unless you go through the government. This is um, this is the Great Depression coming. This is the this is the Greater Depression that, and I hate to say that, but um, this isn't going to get better. And uh, 
yeah, I'll let you talk. I don't, I'll stop for a minute. Oh, I just, I agree. And it's depressing to contemplate. It's, it's so massive. I can't entirely wrap my head around it because everything is a domino effect. So people aren't, I saw a, just a random poll the other day that said, Hey, uh, on April 1st, did you pay your rent or mortgage? And do you plan to, and this is just a, it's not a scientific poll. It was an online poll. 20% of the people said they didn't pay their mortgage or their rent. Right. That's going to get larger, that number of people. I don't know. what Does anyone know what that number was during the 2008-2009 mortgage failure crisis? Like, I don't know what percentage of um, mortgage holders stopped paying their mortgage, but um, I would be surprised if it was as high as 20%. I think it was just a few, you know, single digits. Um, that caused that. Um, and, you know, duty duty rated in chat correctly points out, um, just if you look at the global effect uh, of the pandemic and the world economy stopping, uh, we'll go into a Great Depression. Yeah, uh, that that's that's absolutely true, which is why, you know, we've talked about it in the past, but, uh, you know, I think people should hunker down and, and prep for this because it's not going to get better. Yeah, but how do they do that? You know, that's the thing is how do they, how do they hunker down and prep? It's a good, uh, that's a like good question. I've, I've applied for probably 50, 50 plus jobs in the past week of things that are still open, but everyone else is applying for those jobs too. It's like, whether, what are people supposed to do who aren't allowed to work and while they're waiting to get callbacks and, and the government, somebody in chat said, Tabitha said, our local government is discouraging people planting gardens, making bread and reaching out to local farmers because it's not fair to everyone. Um, and she says, I think this depression will be worse in the twenties because the government's telling people not to be self-sufficient, that we will take care of you. And the government's not even like the, the amount of money they've said they're going to give the average American is not enough to cover. In most cases, I think rent on average is a thousand dollars. Did I read, did I read that somewhere? Is that, does that sound know, right but, to I mean, you? Uh, maybe it, I don't know. I mean, obviously in the Bay area, that's low, but elsewhere, maybe that's high. Um, so I, I would. I wouldn't argue with the thousand dollars if you said yes. Right. So the government's yeah. giving you twelve hundred. Whoop de doo. And you well, know they're the not giving you twelve hundred. Just be clear. Yeah. <laughs> it costs. It costs you ten k per capita. Yeah. To get twelve hundred per capita. So yeah, they're not giving you twelve. It's your money. Uh, I know you're paying so. more for it, but my point is people are are relying on these. We're supposed to rely on these checks now, right? Well, the checks aren't even enough to cover most people's rent plus expenses. Right. So they're, they're meager. And then on top of that, I mean, the unemployment, um, I'm not in this position, but I know people who are people who are self-employed or who do gig work. It's been almost impossible to navigate the unemployment application process. Cause first of all, it was, it, you couldn't get through for a week. The website was crashing constantly. The phones were constantly tied up and it was like just waiting on hold every day. Then when you get through, um, those who are self-employed or do gig work are having, they have to go jump through multiple hoops because first they have to apply and it has to be denied or something. Then they have to reapply. They have to, they have to prove that they are self-employed and they have to prove where all of their income comes from, like the various sources. And they're making it impossible for those people to work and then also to even just file the claim. Well, I mean, look, here's the, oh. the dirty secret is the uninsurance benefits aren't going to help you if we're in an economy where um, 
I mean, so we'll probably have stagflation, I would I would guess, right? So um, so normally what happens in a, in a free market when there's a, um, if, if there is a downturn in a free market, which you can argue actually um, you don't have huge uh, entire economy downturns in a free market. Um, but, um, but if there's a catastrophe or something and you've got a downturn, it relatively, it corrects itself relatively easily. You have capital reallocate from um, uh, like capital goods to consumer goods. So consumer good prices rise with respect to capital goods prices, but all prices are get depressed. Um, and so things get a little bit cheaper. But what happens is when the government swoops in to save you by printing money, um, they actually prevent uh, the prices from uh, <laughs> falling. And so you end up with this weird stagflation thing where you've got increased prices at the same time you have high unemployment. So um, yeah, I mean, I can we talk just for a second about what you can do to hunker down? Because I, I don't, I don't think it's easy. Um, but maybe we should have the conversation about stuff you could do. Um, I do want to give credit to Keith the Hack Guy for the great analogy that I, I just read. Though he says mice die in traps because they don't know why the cheese is free. Works with Americans for twelve hundred bucks. Yes, 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 it does, Keith. <laughs> um, they don't know why the twelve hundred bucks is free. Um, I don't know. Do you have ideas, Carrie? Because I've had some thoughts about what, what hunkering down means. Like, what, is, what do you do to prepare for a depression? No, I don't, because I'm trying to make ends meet this month, and I don't want to lose my house. Right. So right. I am in a position of scrambling to bring in money from whatever sources are still left to me. Right. So no, that hunkering down for me doesn't mean uh, anything other than finding people who are willing to pay me for services or for goods. And so that's what I'm doing. I saw on Craigslist, there's a guy who'll pay you $25 if you go shave his back hair for a date. <laughs> Please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, well, I guess that's one, one avenue. Um, okay. I, I don't, I, look, there's no magic answer to like how to make your mortgage next month or whatever. Like, but but we can talk about what hunkering down could mean and what preparing for depression could mean. Um, first, it means tightening your belt, which uh, is not just a euphemism, but uh, it may mean being way more paying way more attention to how much money you spend, which I think a lot of people, um, you know, Americans, we have a consumer culture. We don't, I don't, a lot of us don't spend, pay a lot of attention to like which brand of whatever are we getting? What's the cheapest way to get calories? Like, do we really need that subscription to Hulu or whatever it is? Like a lot of us just don't, we don't do that very often um, because we live in a consumer culture. I mean, who doesn't have an iPhone, right? Um, or some equivalent. So I think part of it is, is going to be that. Um, I think the opportunity to see in a depression <laughs> Stephen Landau, just sorry, I gotta stop for a moment. Stephen Landau and Chat Carry just gave you twenty five bucks, saying, "Please don't shave anyone's back." Thank you, Stephen. <laughs> Thank you, Stephen. <laughs> Although, we'll come back to this, Carter. I'm gonna like let you make your point, and then I'm gonna share yeah, yeah, with yeah, you yeah. my. Okay, go ahead. No, go, go. No, finish your thing. That's fine. Well, my funny idea was, and I thought of this before the this crisis, but now I think I should really do it, is there's so many diff funny jobs on Craigslist 
I thought it'd be funny if somebody filmed a documentary of themselves trying to do as many as possible in one day. Like there's like a lady who's like, I'll pay you 30 bucks to come set up my, my children's playset." And I'm like, what if you were just going from gig to gig on Craigslist and filming it and trying to do them all? Like I got to go shave his back. Okay. Now let me set up this playset. done. I got to cart away this wood. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, by the way, I will remind you, watch Billionaire, uh, Undercover Billionaire, if you can. You get a little bit of that, not too much. But um, so anyway, yeah. So obviously, there's the tightening the belt aspect, which doesn't that doesn't bring money in, but it at least conserves what you've got. And and I think there's going to be a, a rude awakening for people about like just how much we have to do that. Um, the second is if we just think about opportunities during um, economic downturns. Um, there are some opportunities, and I think it's probably this is probably an, a time to possibly to test your entrepreneurial spirit a little bit and to um, be a little bit more of an entrepreneur. What you have is you have massive disruption in industry, so you have businesses shutting down. Um, you'll have think people changing the way things are being done, and so there's lots of uh, tumult and in in that chaos often comes opportunity and you'll have cheap labor costs so you may be able to talk people into working with you for free for a little while to, to work on something together or whatever um, so you know I think there's that there's definitely the self-sufficiency thing of like grow a garden get some chickens have a goat or whatever it is like you know if you can if you can feed yourself um, w with minimal trip to the grocery store that's good I also suspect that there will be a burgeoning black market. I think there's going to be an underground economy that will develop even more, which is great for agorists, people who are per agorists. Uh, you know, they're going to be working outside the system because no one's going to want to, you know, when you're really pinching pennies, uh, paying 30% to the government for income or even 8.5% for taxes or whatever, for sales tax, depending on where, where you are, um, it's, not, it's not worth it. And so you, you'll start to have... Uh, barter systems, you'll start to have uh, just under the table um, exchange. And I think that, that when I say hunker down, the way that I think about it is the people to do this stuff first will have an advantage because eventually everyone's going to figure out that this is the way that it's going to have to be. Um, but the people that jump in here first um, will possibly have an advantage but there's no i mean there's no magic bullet i don't have a magic answer but those are the general ways things i would look to also i would look to if you look historically at depressions certain industries do better in depressions than others um generally cheap escapism is good so luxury goods not a great place to be right uh but cheap escapism is good so crappy vodka sales probably go up right um that's why you tend to have period interest business survive depressions pretty well. Traditionally, Hollywood survived, but I'm not sure they will this time because, but, but like YouTube stuff will survive perhaps. I don't know. Um, but like cheap entertainment um, and cheap escapism are things that tend to, um, tend to survive pretty well during economic downturns. So um, those are just some thoughts. I mean, it's not extensive. This just off the top of my head, but uh Becky in chat says people will stop paying taxes. One can only hope, Becky. Though you know what, you want to overthrow the government. Not that I'm advocating that. Uh, if you're listening, NSA, um, <laughs> stop paying taxes. 
there's a really easy way to uh, there's a really easy way to completely transform and have like a quiet revolution. Everyone just stop paying taxes. The end. But Carter, are you going to stop paying your taxes? Well, we shouldn't talk about my taxes, but um, okay. Uh, <laughs> but if we all did it together, uh, you know, couldn't go after all of us. Although I think Erwin Schiff died in jail for not paying his taxes. So there you go. Anyway, um, Carrie, sorry, I, that was a kind of rambling thing. You want to talk fine. about something else? No. Uh, well, we were talking about uh, Governor Cuomo earlier, and uh, I, I sent you another link Uh-oh. that I, I just thought was interesting. I don't know if you guys know, but his brother, Chris Cuomo from CNN, who is Chris Cuomo, the dumb one who was telling us that it was illegal for us yes. to read the WikiLeaks emails? Yeah, he's the douchebag that said, like, it's okay for us to read the WikiLeaks emails, but it's illegal for citizens to do it because I'm a Cuomo. Yeah. Okay, he's a moron. But yeah. uh, so he has coronavirus now. And uh, I sent you an article where he hosted this town hall with Bernie Sanders, and he was sick. And he tweeted about being sick. He tweeted about his fever, his high fever, and his sinus infection. And the day that he tweeted about it, Cernovich responded and said, have you gotten your COVID test yet? That's really irresponsible of you. Why are you going to host this town hall if you're sick? And of course, he didn't reply to Cernovich. Um, And then lo and behold, a couple weeks later, turns out he has the virus. Cernovich is on on the wrong team, though, so, you know. No well, reason. yeah, because he's not, he, no there's reason no reason to respond. to respond to him. But yeah, but he, lo and behold, he has it. He was on stage right next to Bernie Sanders. Yeah, here's here's an article you just sent me about it. Uh, yeah. yeah, look at his tweet where he talks about being sick. Maybe the fever and sinus deal I am battling. But always a pleasure to do the CNN town hall this time with Bernie Sanders. <laughs> this time with an old man who just had a heart attack because I have no conscience. Yeah. I mean, granted, it, it, Bernie's a commie, so, but still. I'm just pointing out that it's like, it's it's funny because I find the same people who are telling everyone else, you know, not just that they should stay home, but they have to stay home, that the that they that the government should force to force them to stay home, that those people weren't even choosing of their own free will to do so as as little as a month ago, and some of them were sick. And now everything's changed, and they're, it, it's just hypocritical. You didn't stop yourself from going to a town hall and standing right next to a presidential candidate. Right. Well, hey, if the elites have one thing down, it is hypocrisy. They are excellent. And someone in chat just said, uh, Chris, uh, not Chris, uh, Stephen Landau said, Chris Cuomo is the dumber of the Cuomo brothers. <laughs> like, that's a badge that I, who would want to wear that? I mean, the, the, of all the Cuomo dumbers, dumbers, brothers, he's the dumbest. That's pretty bad. Uh, yeah, Carrie, I, I agree. Can we actually, um, I want to actually talk about something that Maria Tuscan sent me. Maria and I had a little conversation this week about this and, uh, I've, I first want to kind of introduce it. So I've, um, as you know, I, I, I keep having to say this, but I want to, I want to, it's important that I set context here. I isolated before everyone else. I told people they should be isolating. I was on the side of the the conservative not not in the political sense but the conservative safety like I'm going to I'm going to isolate and and protect myself and and 
And I, you were, everyone else does. you were on the side of personal responsibility as you saw it, which yes. is a greater degree of personal responsibility than most of these naggers demonstrated. Right. Right. Um, and, and I, and I said, well, this coronavirus thing could be a big deal. Right. Um, and, and thought maybe it was, and I don't regret isolating. I think it was the right decision given the information that doesn't mean I'm not. What's important is thinking rationally and evaluating things, not becoming a religious fanatic about whatever it is you did. It might turn out that the coronavirus actually wasn't necessary to isolate because maybe the information we get is changing or maybe it's not as bad as we thought or maybe it is worse and we should have done it earlier. All that needs to be evaluated continually. And none of it means that I think the government should be forcing people to do anything, right? So let's just put all that out there. So obviously I've been in the weeks since we started isolating, paying attention to the crisis as it builds in different countries and you see different responses. And I think, you know, we're over a million now, um, worldwide and we've got uh if you look at the john hopkins john's hopkins site uh you know you've got like spain looks like it might be flattening a little bit not not too much it's just as up italy's looking like it's coming down a little bit on new cases u.s is still pretty pretty much on a tear going up obviously china has receded even iran is coming down a little bit um so but you know the map the map looks uh appropriately or, you know, sufficiently spotted here all over the U.S. Um, and we're at 261,000. So, you know, things aren't going well. However, my question is, and this is what I was talking to Maria about, we, we want to know what the truth is about these numbers and what the truth is about um, this virus, especially in light of what we're being told by the government needs to happen right? These are draconian measures. Now, we've heard a lot of China is lying stuff already. Um, the CIA, I just saw an article, the CIA, um, I think it was the CIA, uh, but there was a, a intelligence report sent to the White House um, about China uh, questioning their numbers. I think they're still trying to figure out. Now, I don't know who checks the CIA's numbers because I don't really trust them either, but whatever. Um, the fact that China is likely lying about stuff, uh, I think, kind of is obvious. Um, how much they're lying is the question. And, um, and you know, our own government lies about stuff too, but China is, is wor worse. It's the, it's the Communist Party. They're like explicitly censor. We know, we know that, right? So we don't, it's not controversial to say that China is probably lying severely. Um, how much they're lying, we don't know. But anyway, um, Maria sent me this video. This video, I'm not going to play it. Uh, this video is by a German... Um, scientist he's a virologist like he knows what he's doing and he's uh, you know got the credentials and he's starting to question some of the narrative and he brought up i think the two most important points he brought up are uh, quite interesting and i think these are things that we need to consider again in light of the draconian measures we're being asked to take one point is um we don't actually know if the virus has, in fact, already been circulated throughout the general population. Um, and that's an important question. Now, I have a friend who went to CES in early January, Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas, shook hands with people from China, from Hubei, uh, got horribly sick. He said worst flu he's ever had in his life, dry cough, really, really sick, um, recovered. He hasn't been tested. We, we don't know if he had the coronavirus or not. Um, 
But here's why it matters. If the coronavirus has already been in general circulation in the population, then uh, the response tactic changes because trying to this this tactic of trying to prevent the spread um, or slow the spread uh, actually is not the right tactic. And the way that you would um, and what what you need to know in order to choose the tactics correctly is you need to know if it's spread in the population. And according to this doctor, that actually isn't that hard. You could do a week or two um, study and pretty quickly determine the extent to which we've already all been kind of exposed. It's already been in the general population. And if it turns out that it has been, um, a lot of these draconian measures are no longer necessary. Different measures might need to be taken, but um, shutting down non-essential businesses like this, just it's stupid. You're hurting the economy for no reason and hurting the economy does have a real effect on people, obviously. Um, we don't, you know, if we cared only about safety, cars would be illegal because people die in car accidents. And like, you know, like we take some level of risk being out in the world, catching various diseases, including coronavirus. So, and, and diseases that are much more deadly. So, you know, safety is not the answer all the time. Uh, and so, but we don't know that number, which is interesting. And no one's talking about that number. I mean, no one's trying to find out whether or not it has been spread in the population at large, which I think is an issue, uh, a real issue. The other point he made, and this one I find uh, even more disturbing, is typically, according to this guy who knows more than I do, um, typically when someone dies of a, well, any cause, disease, um, before the cause of death, you don't just, correlation is not causation. You don't just say, well, he had the cold, therefore the cold was the cause of death. You have to say, well, like there's basically three different buckets that that death can fall into if there's a presence of a virus at the time of death. The buckets are the virus was there, but the death was unrelated, like they were shot in the head. Okay, uh, cause of death, unrelated to virus. The second bucket is the virus is there and contributed to the death, um, but wasn't really directly responsible. Maybe increased some chances, but wasn't directly responsible. And the third bucket is like, the virus is directly responsible for the death of the virus killed them. And you don't have to be a virologist or a, a medical doctor to have this conversation. You might have to be a medical doctor or a virologist to figure out which bucket someone fits in. I couldn't do that. But there is a procedure for that. There is There are rules for that. There is a method for determining cause of death that is used in all cases this is what's used except it's not being used to count coronavirus deaths they are the medical community is completely skipping over that process and if you have coronavirus when you die you end up in the coronavirus deaths bucket which is an artificial inflation of the number of deaths and there might be a real reason for that maybe they're too busy um because there's a lot of you know their systems overwhelmed and so they're just postponing that or not doing it but um, when we're presented with these numbers, it is important to understand what these numbers are, and you can't really compare them to other numbers from other diseases or other problems because they are they are not following their own procedures for how to classify deaths. Um, and so, I think that's I think that's interesting to know, and it's interesting to pay attention to, and it's not something that we're being told. Instead, we're being told all these deaths are coronavirus deaths, and maybe they are. Um, but I strongly suspect after um, seeing this video and, and doing a little bit more research, 
I strongly suspect that at the end of the day, we're going to turn around and look at uh, flu season. And let's say we pick a category uh, 80, 80 plus people, you know, older than 80 or whatever, or 70 to 80. It doesn't matter. Pick a category. Um, there's a certain number of expected deaths every year from flu and, and just old age and ailments generally. I suspect that if we keep these categorized as coronavirus deaths, what we will find is people were dying for, from other causes less than they have been in the past, which actually means there's a Venn diagram and these deaths are overlapping and some of these people that are being counted would have died anyway from other things. Um, but we don't really know. And uh, I think it's important, Carrie, you and I make this point a lot. It's important to admit when you don't know. And we don't really know the severity of the, the medical severity of the coronavirus with respect to a lot of things. It could still be really bad. I'm not saying go out and make out with people, uh, <laughs> you know, all like in, in no canoodling with strangers. Right. I'm not saying to go do that. But what I am saying is um, on the flip side, don't be freaked out about numbers that we're really not certain of. And um, and certainly none of this stuff justifies any sort of draconian shut down, nothing like what we're seeing, which is, you know, what we do know, by the way, I don't have to be a doctor uh, to know that 6.6 million unemployment claims in a week, that's bad. People will die. Uh, you know what's essential? You know what essential business is? One that puts food on your table. That's essential. Um, we know the effect that uh, an economic shutdown can have, and it is enormous. That effect we know, um, and you don't have to have a, a, you don't have to be a PhD, you know, MD, PhD to, to know that. Um, that we know. So I just wanted to point that out and encourage people to take some of this stuff with a grain of salt. I'm still staying at home um, because I'm totally not sure yet, but I do encourage people to take it with a grain of salt. That's all. That's that's what's missing here is is that anyone with any sort of critical thinking or nuance is being told to shut up and and they're being treated as if uh, they're making some sort of um, prescriptive claim. Like, like, for example, you just said, I'm still staying at home. I'm just questioning these things. And we should be doing that. This is when you need to be thinking critically. It's our responsibility to question those things and think critically. Um, and by the way, Maria Tuscan just says in chat, um, I'm glad she's, she's like looking into this more than I am. So I'm glad she's doing this. She says about 7,500 people die every day in the U.S. That number hasn't really changed this year. Hmm. That's an interesting piece of information uh, that I didn't know um, and that I don't hear news talking about. Do you? No. And there's also an interview with, um, what's the doctor's name that everyone keeps? Uh, Fauci. Fauci? Yeah, there's an interview with Fauci and you guys can go look this up where he talked about how uh, the number of deaths or the, the percentage of deaths were, in his opinion, was not going to be higher than the average flu. Now, I'm not saying this is the average flu. Don't take I think it's vastly different in a lot of ways. It's obviously seems like it's more easy to it's more contagious and there's a lot of differences and but. In, in talking about numbers of deaths, he said it was a smaller percentage and people are kind of just nobody's 
nobody's talking about that. I don't yeah. know. No, you're I'll, right. I'll find that so that I'm not just saying something. I'll find that link and we'll put it in the comments. There's also, um, I was going to, people in the chat were, I don't know if I believe this or not. It is a a theory. I guess you could throw it in the conspiracy theory wagon or whatever. Um, I just view it as, because I don't know things. My mind is open to there being things that I don't know. And so um, this is something that I haven't written off. People who have said that, um, that a lot of people they knew were very sick in December or January, and they feel like this has been percolating for a while or sooner or for longer than we think. And there is a doctor on Twitter, um, Peter Antivy. I don't know if you saw this. He said, and he posted his, um, I don't know if you can see that, but he posted his test result. He said, in January, I got very sick with a flu-like illness, but much worse. No sleep for two days and almost checked myself into the ED. I had no idea what it was. Today, I checked my COVID-19 antibody status. IgG plus only, a sign of past infection. We'll retest tomorrow. Right. Now, that could be a false positive or something, but I just think it's interesting. Yep. And these are these are important questions. And you're right, Carrie, there is no... There is no nuance here, um, and I think everyone just wants to act like we know for certain it's the end of the world, or we know for certain it's nothing. Um, and the truth is, we don't know for certain at all, um, and we all have to use our best judgment to, to deal with the uncertainty. Um, lots of things in life are uncertain, and this is one of them. One thing that I am concerned about is Fauci... Uh, I'm concerned about listening only to doctors, and I know that sounds like I'm a little bit of a Luddite, but uh, it's like lawyers. So doc doctors are like lawyers in, in some way, and the reason I have to use this analogy is because I know the lawyer stuff better. Uh, in business, you never, ever ask a lawyer, if you're running a business, uh, I don't know how many of you people have run a business on in chat, but if you're running a business, you never, ever, 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 ever ask your lawyer, can I do X? Because you know what the answer will be? Nope. Don't do that. Because everything has legal risk. And the lawyer has no incentive to tell you, do that thing. Right? They just don't. So what you have to do in business is you have to say, I want to do X. How do I do it? Then the lawyer provides advice. Okay, well, here's the risk, blah, blah, blah. This is the way to minimize the risk, blah, blah. Like, that's how you have conversation with lawyers. You don't say, can I do X? Because the lawyer has no incentive to say yes. They don't want you to go do X, have some random thing happen. You get struck by lightning, and suddenly you're mad at your lawyer because, you know, you shouldn't have done X. So they have no incentive ever. Doctors are often very similar. Um, doctors have no incentive to be like, Hey, is it? Hey, Doc, is it completely safe to go outside? And no, it's not. And so, if you ask doctors to run the country, they're going to want us all in padded rooms, hopped up on medication, so that we can be monitored all the time. Like that's the doctor's mentality, um, in general, especially if they've risen to the level of like presidential advisor or something. Um, they're not thinking about the the downsides. They're not. They're not. They have no incentive to tell you to go embrace risk. Um, in general. And so this one of the things that's bothering me is that Trump has surrounded himself with like the medical professions. Um, only and only the medical professionals. And and I know he's mentioned the economy a few times. Uh, but you know, at this point, the economy is worse than the coronavirus, I, I think. I mean, I see the coronavirus right now is very bad. Yeah. But, 
Yeah. But I and I agree. And this is the the, um, the statement that Trump made about we have to make sure that the cure is not worse than the virus. Yeah. And and they gave him grief for it. But uh, I don't understand why. Of course, we want to make sure the cure is not worse. And, and people just seem to be completely and mostly to you, bar and SJW work, mostly privileged people are just completely like. Yep. Does it matter? Let's shut it all down. Um, somebody in chat, uh, Dejin said um, that Brett Weinstein's wife, Brett Weinstein, sorry, Weinstein's wife, had a similar theory that the coronavirus might have already been circulating. And yeah. I didn't know that. I've got to look that up. Uh, Brett Weinstein's wife is uh, Heather Hayer, also a professor, yeah. uh, leave of biology. Um, there's also, I shared the link in chat just now, but, um, there's a monk debate between two different experts who disagree and you should, experts are going to disagree on this and that's a sign, right? Yeah. Yes. And so it's two different experts disagreeing, um, even on the best method of fighting the virus. One is arguing for, uh, staying at home and isolating ourselves. And the others are arguing for going out and developing herd immunity and for people in on social media to just act with this superior faux intellectual, um, don't you listen to science? Don't you listen to the experts? It's like, yeah, I do. They disagree. Which one are you listening to? <laughs> and, but just <laughs> like, to be clear, science isn't something one listens to. Science right. is something one practices. <laughs> and one practices, you don't have to be right. a scientist to use your critical mind. And like I just said, I just explained the categorization of deaths. I don't have yeah. to be a doctor to conceptually understand what they're doing and see that they're not doing it in this case. Right? I don't I don't need to understand the details of that. I that's right. critical thought. Anyone can do that. That's critical. Right, but even even on a more a simple level when people are trying to claim that as that all of science and all experts agree, that's false. Don't right. let people get away with that. If they haven't heard the monk debate, send it to them. If they're not aware of the fact that experts disagree, make them aware. Because they're just, and, and most of the time I've found when people say, you know, oh, you just disregard the experts. I'm like, oh, you mean disregard what the mainstream media is saying? I see. That's oh, you mean, dis- you mean disregard Chris Cuomo? Mm. Yeah, got it. That's yeah. your expert. Okay. I did disregard. I do disregard him. Um, by the way, so Tabitha in chat says, just listen to Sean Baker. He'll say to eat a steak and don't be stupid. I, I think Tabitha's kind of saying that flippantly, although probably agrees. I completely agree. Sean Baker's awesome. By the way, he agreed to do a show with us and then stopped responding to emails. So if anyone talking to Sean Baker, tell him to get his ass into email and email me back again because uh, he dropped off the face of the earth. I want him to do a show. Uh, and he agreed to do a show and then disappeared. Uh, but, you know, yeah, I think... Um, I think there's another level of this, which is the uh, largely our diet is responsible for our immune system, and a lot of a lot of Americans just have very weak immune systems. Um, and Sean Baker probably would say, like, you know, eat your steak and uh, eat your steak, work out, and have a strong immune system. And don't worry about. Oh it. Oh my gosh! By the way, we've talked about this on the program before when talking about SJWs, and we did a whole deprogrammed episode on. Um, it was called, it was called fat shit crazy. Sorry for the curse word. Um, I apologize. But it, it was, was a good curse word. Yeah, it was about the um, the way that SJWs, you know, they have they divide everyone into these identity groups, 
And then they say everyone's either privileged or marginalized. And one of those categories is uh, weight. And that's now you're you're supposedly oppressed and marginalized if you're fat and you're supposedly privileged if you're not. And um, they've really tried to make that a part of the belief system. But um, I bring this up because I saw a headline uh, where, of course, medical professionals are saying or they're having to say now that that, yes, if you're morbidly obese, that's going to you're going to be at greater risk. There's a number of things that put you at greater risk, being a smoker you know, being elderly, having underlying conditions, being obese is one of those. And I just thought it was interesting. Um, and like when the real world slaps down the falsehoods that are created by the ideology. Um, and one of those falsehoods has been, and we've talked about it, we don't have to go into it again, but SJWs have been out there peddling this idea that obesity, there's nothing unhealthy about obesity. I've told you about my friend who works at Harvard Medical School. That's her entire job, her it's department. To, it's to teach doctors that there's nothing wrong with being yes. morbidly obese? Yes, that's part of it. She also teaches them that biological sex is a social construct. Doctors. Mm. <laughs> and what's her background again, Carrie? Uh, not a doctor. She previously worked at the ACLU. <laughs> She's an activist and in music, entertainment oh. and activism. Well... I'm glad she can pay off her student loans, at least. Uh, you know, um, Carrie, uh, sorry, I'm getting distracted here. Everyone in chat, a bunch of people in chat are now talking about, like, food companies selling cereal and fake butter. Yeah, I mean, we've been lied to so long, so much on nutrition. Uh, it's That's one of the reasons I want Sean Baker on the show, because there's so many lies about what we've been told to eat over the years. Uh, we subsidize farmers to make corn so we can make corn syrup and then put it in everything. And there's, there's some ridiculousness going on. Um, but um, should we actually talk about, I, I want to, can we pivot just a second to some, to the Facebook conversation we were, you were, you were having that, we, that I commented on right before the show? Yes. But one final comment on the, about the obesity thing. Oh, okay. Um, Horatio, which welcome to the chat. I don't think I've seen you in chat before. Horatio says, I'm working in the trenches here in New York City and COVID-19 is collecting dues on the obese more than anyone else. Body positivity, in quotes, is killing people. That is really sad. And that's, it's a shame that it takes something like this for reality to kind of slap some of that ideology in the face. Because it is killing people. And it is putting people, and we've said this before, and I don't want to belabor it too long, but it encourages, my old belief system encourages people to stay unhealthy. It encourages you to view being fat or being obese as an identity that's worth, you know, fighting for equal representation. It, it, it encourages you to view it as an identity the same way it encourages you to view your mental illnesses or any mental health problems as an identity. And that's also unhealthy. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's my rant on that. Yeah. Um, no, I, I agree. Um, I mean, in general, this is the thing, any beliefs that are not grounded in reality and rational, um, I know a lot of people are like, well, it doesn't matter this one thing I'm going to believe, or this is just slightly different, or I'm going to have, you know, not use reason in this case, any, any belief system that is untethered from objective reality and has internal contradictions or contradictions with reality ultimately reality wins and so sometimes it's obvious like you're running around telling obese people that uh 
they're healthy and then they die of coronavirus, right? Sometimes it's very obvious. Sometimes it's very subtle. Like uh, you tell people that, uh, I'm trying to think of an example. If it's very subtle, maybe it's uh, the, the lie of collectivism over communism, right? The lie that like, um, that the public good is valuable. Like the public good is some kind of a th an entity, which it's not. The public good is a thing to be, you know, to strive for, that the public is an entity. That's a little bit more subtle, but that leads to, you know, 100 million deaths last century or whatever it is. That leads to communism. Eventually, everything eventually, um, anything that's contradictory to reality eventually gets its comeuppance. Um, sometimes it just takes generations. So um, anyway, I also, can we also shout out to uh, <laughs> Little Ragamuffin says, oh, wait, where is it? I lost it. Because chat's going, oh, Little Ragamuffin says, shot of whiskey and rub some dirt on it. There you go, <laughs> Little Ragamuffin. That's, uh, that's the American way. That um, sounds like my grandfather. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. it totally does. So, um, okay, Carrie, why don't you talk about what you're talking about on Facebook? Because you and I have a slight disagreement, and this is uh, fun. So, Wait, which, which post? I've been... Your respect post. Oh, 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 this is a personal rant. You know how everybody's been doing, um, now that everyone's stuck at home, they're doing, I see people participating more in funny or fun and uh, like diversions on Facebook of games and stuff. Like post a picture of a green photo from your phone or post uh, your 10 things that you don't like that most other people do like, you know, things like Wasting that. Wasting time on social media. Yes, uh, and no. and diverting. Um, it's a diversion from the negative thoughts. And I actually think some of these things are positive. If people are going to be on social media, I think it helps to have frivolity once in a while, Carter. Um, hence my glamour shot. Sharing. As long as it's intermittent, Carrie. Intermittent frivolity, <laughs> right? And so um, I was thinking about my list, and this is a build up to what you asked me to talk mm -hmm. about. But my list, which it, things that other people seem to like that you don't like would be my mom, bacon, <laughs> uh, people that use the word respect when what they really mean is civility or compliance or acquiescence. Uh, I was doing my list and then I was like, ah, forget it. I'm just going to talk about the respect part because I was in a couple conversations recently and, and I often find myself in these situations where somebody's using the word respect in a, in a way that I don't use it and I don't define it that way. And a lot of times they don't even seem to know what they mean by it. And so in a conversation where like that nurse, for example, who was being so hateful and basically, you know, to, uh, to that other woman saying that, you know, I have a respect for humanity while she's saying she wouldn't intubate her, you know, like that, that's, you don't respect humanity. I have respect for humanity in the abstract, but not humans. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and a lot of times they're not showing respect while they're saying they respect everyone. And also a lot of times I think what they actually mean by respect is civility or um, non-offense. And so they'll say things like, um, like in a recent conversation, um, you know, about using preferred pronouns um, well, I, why not use whatever someone asks you to call them because that, that's a sign of respect. And it's like, well, respect is earned. It's not just freely given. If you, people who say I respect everyone to me, that tells me you don't respect anyone because what does respect mean? If you give it to everyone, I respect my grandfather, world war II veteran, you know, I respected him. He earned my respect. 
he was a man worthy of respect. He was a hard worker. Um, there, there were a lot of admirable qualities about my grandfather. And if I say I respect my grandfather and then I say I respect some stranger, some troll I just met on the Internet, then respect to me means nothing. And I, th- I suspect a lot of times when people use that word, what they mean is it would be civil if you or it would be nice if you use preferred pronouns. They don't actually mean you should respect this stranger you don't know, you know. So they probably that's do. that's my uh, that's my little right. Well, How do you define respect? I define I, it as someone worthy of esteem. Yeah, I don't. I don't disagree with you on the respect thing. Um, where we started to disagree was I said I agree. Now do love. Right. This is where we disagree. Well, for me, love is different, and this is why defining terms is important because we've had this conversation. We've had this conversation before. Mm-hmm. I think striving to love someone who you don't like is is a worthy goal. C.S. Lewis writes about this, about about being called as Christians. And I know not everyone who watches is a Christian. Carter is not a Christian. So I'm not telling you. And people get their panties in a wad when you start talking about personal beliefs. But from a Christian point of view, he wrote about how um, God was calling us to love people even if we don't like them and how that's a lot harder to do. It's very easy to love people that you like. It's a lot harder to love people you don't like. And so I do think that's a worthy goal. I try to reach it and I don't always succeed. That's why it's a worthy goal because it's very difficult. Um, and I think also the here's so so you and I probably disagree and tell me if I'm wrong because I, I a I think it's possible to love people you don't like and it sounds like you don't believe that's true. And B, I also believe that there are different kinds of love. That's why the Greeks had so many different words for love, like brotherly love or erotic love. Um, so tell me if I'm wrong or where you disagree. Okay, well, uh, let's start with B, because B, I, you're correct. The Greeks had a lot of different love words, and um, I don't know. I, it's been a long time since I really cracked open a concordance, and <laughs> I don't think you have to crack open concordances anymore now. I imagine they're online. Uh you could probably look up what the Greek word that was used in the Bible and uh, at that spot and what the phrase actually meant. It might not mean love the way you think it does, but maybe it does. I, I don't know. I'm just I'm just saying, you know, um, I think a lot of what I noticed with, and this is because of my Christian past, what I noticed with a lot of uh, English-speaking Christians is they, they'll take like the King James Version or New King James Version or any version of the Bible and they'll read something and they'll be like, this means this, it's very clear. But then like, actually, if you look at the Greek those words were translated in a certain way. You're taking them a different way than it was even originally wrote. And so obviously as an atheist, I don't care what was written originally, but as a Christian, you might care uh, what was originally intended um, when that was wrote, when that was written. Um, uh, Yeah, so I don't have a particular... Love to me is not a special case of other values. Um, So... You, you can love, you can like, you can respect, you can, you can hate, um, you can value. Those are all, those are all words that describe um, a, uh, your relation to something or someone else in, in relation to how much um, and what aspects of them you value. So if you admire someone, there's, that means you, there's certain aspects that you find of a, of a value uh, about them to you right? Uh, if you say, I admire that person's perseverance. Well, 
that means that you value this particular characteristic of them, which is that they persevere. And like, so every word, every word that you use to describe relationships has, uh, has meaning um, in relation to what you value. And your argument with respect was, if uh, the, the end of your argument with respect was, well, if you use that all over the place and you have to throw respect around, well, then the word doesn't mean anything anymore um, because you're just using it. And I agree. I, I agree with that argument about respect. However, I also agree with that argument about all value words. Um, and that includes liking and it includes loving. Um, and I guess the best uh, analogy I can use for this, best way I can think of to make people understand what I'm saying or help people understand what I'm saying here is uh, imagine your spouse. I don't know how many of you in chat are married. Uh, girlfriend, boyfriend, spouse, doesn't matter. Imagine your significant other, and um, your significant other turns to you and says, I love you. That feels good, right, to hear that. And then imagine she turns to everyone else in the whole world and says, I love you too. Hmm? Suddenly, I hey, random person from <laughs> Mongolia, I love you. Hmm. See? Suddenly, hold on. Suddenly that word has lost its meaning. That, that word doesn't mean anything. Love is a response to positive values that you see in someone else, that you cherish and value in someone else. Now, acting in a caring manner towards someone, which I don't disagree with and which I think ought to be the message of the Bible. I don't know if it is, but not being a Christian, I don't care if it is. Um, the idea that you should treat people um, charitably and care about humanity generally, um, and treat them with um, a uh, benefit of the doubt when you first meet them, I think that's all good. The idea that you should love them undercuts the, the, the entire meaning of the word love. And if you are meaning something different than what I just said, you need another word because you're ruining the word love. The words are just labels for concepts. And there's nothing magic about the, the word love like it's just a, you know it's a syllable it's some phonetic letters strung together like that's all it is but it's attached to a particular meaning and if that's not what you mean when you say love then we need to have two different words for this because if you use that if you use the word love to mean general charity for everyone like here's hitler i'm supposed to love him i'm supposed to love my enemy like that that's not love that's not a response to positive values it undercuts the value of love in particular and makes it mean nothing when you actually say it so and i don't and i think you would agree with that argument for every word except for love and i would like to understand why love is some magical special well, no, word that's I, exempt from this i i both agree and disagree with you oh okay it is a word that i use with different meanings so i I wish I had a different word to use, but I don't know of a better one. When I say I love uh, my significant other, uh, it means something plus what it means when I use it for other people. This is why I said the Greeks had more than one word for it. I, and I, 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 hear, I hear you saying that's not true, but okay, so I just No, 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 no. I did not say it wasn't true. Oh, okay. I said it was absolutely true, and you should look up okay. which one they were using. Okay, yeah, so... <laughs> Filio or brotherly love would be the type that I'm talking about. They also talked about storage, which is a love between family members. 
and then they had eros for erotic love. Right. So and, what do you I mean others, when you say agape? So when I say it doesn't mean what it does when I use it for my significant other, um, it means I think Tara had one of the best definitions in chat that that resonates with me. She says, love is willing the good of the other. Of course, doing that will upset those who are deluded. So and and uh, Omar, Wait, can you say that again? Out, can you say that again? Willing the love of another. Say that again? No, willing the good of another, even if you don't like them, Oh, like wishing them well. Yeah, but more than that, um, so when I use it, it's like, okay, Amara had a good point. She said, there are some family members I don't like, but I love them. And that's the best, that's one of the best examples I, c I can give for, to explain what I mean. And maybe there's someone in your life like that, and maybe there's not, but there are people who I don't like, but I love. And, uh, and, there, and then there are people who I don't like, and I don't love. And I try, I'm trying to grow that love for them because I think it right. betters me to do that. So like uh, an example would be, I've, I've probably used her before, but there's one particular SJW from my past who um, I can't stand. <laughs> I can't stand her. But because I can't stand her, and for some reason, and she in particular, not other SJWs, don't have the same effect on me, this one then I think it. I think God calls me to 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 love her and to figure out why I can't love her. And so, in a way, it's like humanizing her. So when I do prayers about her, they're for like Tara said, they're for her good. They're not for her to change. They're not for her to become different or to shed her beliefs or anything. They're they're wishes. They're prayers of of wishing well for her, and also of changing my heart towards her. If that makes sense. Yeah, so I'm not, uh, we can have another discussion someday about whether it's appropriate to wish well of people who wish you harm. Let's put that aside for a moment, um, because that that's another can of worms. Um, I'm still not hearing an argument for why it has to be the same word that we use to describe all these different oh, things. I don't think it does have to be the same word. I just don't, nobody commonly uses any other word. And so if with respect and civility, that's an easy distinction for me to make because these are two different concepts. If you're using the word respect, but what you really mean is civility, that's easy for me to make that distinction. But if you're using, like, give me another word. Should I start using the Greek ones? Well, I guess, I guess the reason I'm, not yeah, I guess the reason I'm bringing it up is, and this, and I know it sounds nitpicky, but this is another, this is, this is important because when, um, when words are, uh, the, the programming term would be like an overloaded operator or whatever, but like when, when they're overloaded, when there's multiple definitions, um, yeah. that can be confused, right? Cause you can have definitions for words that are like, uh, totally, um, unrelated and there's never any confusion in context, but love's not one of them. There's lots of confusion there. And whenever you have that, uh, each definition undermines the meaning of all the other definitions. And well, I agree with that. And so I would argue that uh, I don't know what other word to use for romantic love, but I imagine that for the sense of let's goodwill, call it eros. I, well, hold on. I'm so let's talk English words for a moment. I imagine that if we're going to talk about the the kind of goodwill towards other people that you're talking about. Um, I think that there's a treasure trove of other words that could be used for that, probably. Um, so 
people aren't going to say like, you know, I eros you to their spouse, right? <laughs> um, that doesn't make any sense. You're not going to change that. That's the primary meaning that people use. It's all over Valentine's Day. Like this is what people use. This is the word people use there. However, the goodwill feeling that you're talking about, um, I think there are other ways to describe that that don't mean the word love. Um, and I, I, the reason I think this matters is is definitions of words matter and words matter. And so uh, the people who wish to, to wish evil, who wish to tear down um, good, use, they, they use vagaries of definitions precisely to create problems. Like this is, this is what happens, right? I mean, I did a whole video on the public good, right? It's, it's a word that sounds nice, but, but is used to do a lot of evil. This is, language policing is very important. It's why Socrates cared very much about definitions philosophically. It's something that I think we should be very careful and precise in our language. And as someone who's not a Christian, who doesn't say that we should love everyone, um, and uh, and I think I'm in the majority when love, the first thing I think about love is like romantic love. That's what people usually use. Um, I think it, the onus is on people who are trying to communicate something slightly different to pick other lang a different language. Otherwise, you're destroying love. Well, uh, okay. Another word. I'll start using philos, philio then. Or whatever, but no, actually, I won't. I'm going to keep using I love. Say, I don't I'll think just you define what I mean. <laughs> um, viewer number dropping Fox Mom said, "Hey, we can't please everybody all the time. This is interesting to us. This so is a conversation you, Carrie and I like. If you don't want to have the conversation about love, don't have the conversation. Actually, I love this conversation, Carter. <laughs> it's mildly appealing to me. <laughs> um, I think it's just lazy. I think it's just lazy vocabulary." Right. You could say well, you could say lots of things about like, I wish goodwill upon other people. I'm charitable towards other people. You should be you should give other people the benefit of the doubt no, or you should wish the them well or you should, you know, want what's best for them. Like there's lots of ways to say that. Yeah, but I don't I don't agree with that. I do agree with you. It would be great if we had more than one word um, to describe the different types of love. But it's still love to me. And I believe God. I mean, this is just my personal belief has commanded us to love others even those people we don't like. And so it's, that is what he means. It's just, right. Yeah. So here's, here, I'll, I'm going to light a powder keg right now though, because little Ragamuffin just said, God gave us his unconditional love. So actually, and I guess we don't have to have the in-depth conversation about this if you don't want to, but uh, unconditional love is a contradiction in terms. It's a violation of the concept of love. It's one of the most abhorrent things I can possibly imagine. You are loved on condition. You do want, again, you want your spouse to turn to you and say, I love you but not for any of your virtues. I love you, but not for anything that you deserve. You're, my love for you is completely undeserved, but I love you anyway. I don't want that kind of love. That's disgusting. That is disgusting. Who wants that kind of love? That is sick. Well, Carter, I love you anyway. Yeah, um, but hopefully for some kind of virtue that you see, even though we disagree about many things, not just, you know, you don't love someone for their vices. Okay. <sighs> Anyway, now what? It's time to go, actually. It, but... it, it's time to. Well, we had actually. Can we? Can we? I could keep talking about this, but not love because it's related to something else. Um, who was it? I think it was Kent. No, it was Stephen. Stephen sent me an email, uh, and 
he watched Dr. K, who I don't know if she's still in chat, but he watched Dr. K's podcast on the topic of friends, and it's related to all this. Um, and she did a podcast about losing friends with who had basically TDS. Um, and I hope this is okay, Stephen. I'm not using your last name, so I think it's okay. I'm just going to read this part of your email. He says, it gave me some food for thought. I often hear Carrie and now Dr. K throwing around friends and how they lost friends when they changed ideologies. I think that perhaps their definition of friends and my definition of friends is very different. The left use the term friends. Uh, the left's use of the term friends is shallow and superficial and probably is a reflection of what's going on in the culture these days. Are Twitter and Facebook friends really friends? I'd love to hear your thoughts about this. I don't think he wants to hear my thoughts because I'm in agreement with you. Uh, I don't use the word friends, but I think Carrie does. We've had this conversation before. Like we already talked about this. But I mean, yeah, the answer is it, it. I use it to mean a lot of different things. Facebook friends. Facebook, unfortunately, doesn't call them followers. They call them friends, which right. is weird because then, you know, when I'm in comments with people, like if I, I, I befriended someone yesterday who disagreed with me and was calling me names. And they're like, why did you send me a friend request? I'm like, because you had some interesting things to say. And I'm friends with lots of people on Facebook who I disagree with. And I'm friends with lots of people on Facebook who are, who are awful people. If it were Twitter, I'd be able to say, I follow lots of awful people. <laughs> and and also people I disagree with. So you so use the term Facebook friends to, you would use that as a, you wouldn't count them as Well, friends. that's one thing I lost a ton of, I mean, that's a measurable thing. I lost a ton of Facebook friends. And some of those people I knew in real life and some of those people I didn't, uh, most of the ones I lost, I knew in real life. I had met them, they were acquaintances of some kind. Most people who friend a lot of people on Facebook um, or a lot of people who do, do it for business reasons. That's why I used to do it. Anybody I ever met in business, we would, we would just find, I mean, you and I became friends on Facebook cause we worked together in some capacity. Right. But so a lot of those people would be called acquaintances or whatever. Um, and then I also lost some real friends, like people who, uh, I thought were my friend, but the way, the way that I view it now is more of like, um, it showed me who my real friends were. So you've kind, of, you've kind of redefined and said like, oh, actually, it turns out they weren't friends. They weren't actually real friends. Well, yeah, at the time I thought they were. But I think it shows you the people's character if they're willing to unfriend you over a difference of ideology or belief, you know. And yeah. I'm still friends with, I guess what he's uh, in the thing we've argued about before is I'm still friends with some SJWs and I, I don't mean just Facebook friends. I mean, friends like my friend who came to town and we had lunch and she pushes my old ideology. That's part of what she does for a living. And, uh, I, I'm going to use this word. I still love her. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> like that's just, you know, I'm not going to cut her out of my life because she believes what I used to believe. Why would I do that? I should be an example to her of, of the things that I believe in. And one of those things is not uh, isolating oneself only with people who agree with you already. You know, like I'm like, come to the party. Welcome to my party. I'm not going to shut the door on you. Maybe one day you'll want to come to my party. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think, um, I think there's a difference between being friends and leaving the door open. Like I'm, I don't, I wouldn't conflate those two. Um, so you don't have to, the choice isn't, it's a false alternative to be like, you have to be friends or you have to, you know, dump all over them and, you know, hate on them. Um, 
I guess I guess Stephen and I might have a similar view of friendship. So I don't I don't want to speak for Stephen, but I'll I'll speak for myself. Um, I okay. I'm going to back up. Part of raising a child is teaching them how to choose friends, and I don't think a lot of us were taught that. And I don't think a lot of us were taught uh, what matters. And um, complete ideological alignment does not matter. Uh, that will be a boring life. Uh, and actually, probably there is no one who has complete ideological alignment with you. You would have zero friends if it was 100% alignment. Um, but I'll pick on a few friends I have in chat um, who I won't name. One of them uh, disagrees with me on vegetarianism. I, he, I think for moral reasons. Like, I think he's a moral vegetarian. Um, we disagree on that. It's a big, big moral topic. Um, another one I think probably disagrees with me on mostly implementation of things, but maybe not some fundamental stuff. Um, but I, I do think that, and this is the way I approach friendship. And I think, you know, obviously I think it's the right way to approach friendship, but you know, um, true friendship does require shared core values and it doesn't mean all values. Um, it means a few shared core values. It means like like really central core values. Um, and the more of those you have, the closer friends you can be. You can be kind of friends with people who don't have many. You can be very close friends with people who have uh, very, very, uh, like all, all the shared core values. Um, but the but when I when I say core values, I don't mean just shared words. Like you can both be, I'm against racism. I'm against racism too. Well, you're using the same word, but you don't mean the same thing. In one case, like a social justice warrior means when they think of that, they believe that racism is something that happens between groups of people across generations. When I say it, I believe racism is something that individuals do to each other. Um, and so um, even if the label is the same, I wouldn't say someone who's a social justice worker who says, I'm also against racism, I wouldn't count that as a shared value of ours. We don't share that value because when they use the label racism, they mean something different than when I use the label racism. Um, and so I don't, I actually, I think it's a bad sign in society that we are, many kids are growing up to be taught that what matters for friendship is um, mundane things like we both like to golf or we both like Chinese food or we met each other at poker club or whatever. I don't know. Poker club's not a thing. Whatever. Uh, we both like you know, the Pittsburgh Penguins, like, <laughs> that's nice. Um, we both love to read Chaucer. Like, th those are nice things. Shared interests are fine, but they're not the basis for um, a lasting, enduring relationship. What is, is shared metaphysical and epistemological and ethical premises. Because um, those last, and those are important. Those, those dictate how you make decisions, um, how you move and navigate things through life. And so, um, I think a lot of people, um, and you know, I know Dr. K was very upset she's losing some friends uh, over over this, and I, I get it. I think a lot of people have grown very emotionally close to people whose fundamental values differ. And um, and maybe in some cases they didn't differ and your values changed. Like, you know, there could have been, like, I was a Christian and became an atheist. So, like, that's me that changed. It's not anyone else. Um, but I think I think we take this, idea of friendship too lightly and that we're that we are encouraged and kids aren't even taught how to figure out what really matters in a friend right um instead they're taught like oh you both do ballet together you both do hockey together you both go to the same school like she seems nice 
those aren't basis. Those aren't ba the basis for a real friendship. And eventually, that gets uh, that becomes obvious when when in trying times when there's stress, uh, you see those friendships break down. And the reason is they weren't solid friendships to begin with. And part of being a parent is teaching children how to uh, identify the most important aspects, the most important qualities in a friend that are aligned with what will last for them. That's all. Okay, all I have to add to that is um, this book I've mentioned before, Love Your Enemies. He's kind of talking <laughs> about, yeah, Love Your Enemies. It's, the, it's, the, it's my um, nemesis. <laughs> he talks about um, Aristotle's three different kinds of friend. Aristotle defined three different kinds of friendship. And so um, it's a it's interesting if you guys haven't read this before or, or, or read about Aristotle's definitions of friendship. He defines it as three different kinds. He says the lowest form of friendship is based on utility, where both people derive some benefit from each other. Mm -hmm. um, Which is a very level, common one today, by the way. A lot of people have friends that they think are very deep, right. but it's that one. Mm -hmm. Right. The next level of friendship for Aristotle is based on pleasure. Both people are drawn to the other's wit, intelligence, talent, good looks, or other attractive qualities. Those are your party friends. Yeah. And then the third type, the highest form of friendship is the perfect friendship in Aristotle's telling. It's based on willing the good of the other. That's what Tara said. It's based on willing the good of the other and a shared sense of what is virtuous and true. That's what you're saying. Yes. Shared values. Yeah. And I think I think the first thing falls out of the second one. When you recognize, when you see someone with shared values, you automatically will their good because you value those values. Those values are very important to you. And when you see them instantiated in another being, you want that being to survive and thrive and, and excel. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. We have to wrap this up. All right, you wrap it up. I was going to tell a story, but I'll I'll save it for okay. Time. We'll save it for next time. My brain is uh, hitting the two hour mark. All right. Um, but uh, thank you guys for joining. If it was your first time here, this is a um a live podcast that we do on Mondays and Fridays. We also have a series called Deprogrammed, where we um dissect SJW ideology and do a lot of longer form interviews. And then we have other kinds of content, other kinds of interviews that we put up occasionally. Um, you can visit us online at unsafespace.com. We have a book club that you can join. We just did our our most recent book was Douglas Murray's The Madness of Crowds, and we just decided announcement, guys. If you haven't seen it yet. We are going to do uh, Orwell's Animal Farm. Mm. We don't have a date set yet. We're going to announce the date soon. Um, we hope it'll be a more friendly time for UK people this time. But if you don't have a copy of Animal Farm, uh, I heard that it's free on Kindle Unlimited right now, if you have Kindle Unlimited. Um, you can also go to our website and follow the affiliate link to buy it, and that'll give us a penny or two. And that should be a fun, relevant, interesting read this for this month so we hope yeah and it's that. a fun it's a fun fast read it's um i my daughter just read it uh i think last year a couple years ago um so it's like it's easy i mean she she's 10 so uh an eight-year-old can read it it's, it's it's easy it's fast it's short um but it's poignant so um and and relevant uh we should say thank you to little ragamuffin who just threw some money our way as well as kent onufrichuk uh so thank you both for the super chats and um i guess that's it have a good That's weekend. It. We'll see you guys soon. Have a good weekend. All righty. Take care. Take care.